This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. You okay, Dave? I'm good, man. <laughs> All right. A little water. A little, get a little liquid in there, make everything better. Uh, we are live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center here with Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. Our thanks to uh, John Schneider, who joined us earlier in the show. In case you guys are just tuning in, that's why we're here. He'll be with us on the phone next week. He'll be at the Combine, and we will be here. So uh, we'll talk to him on the phone. But out here speaking with him today, that conversation will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Good stuff from him. Uh, meanwhile, in the world of... Uh, the Seattle Mariners, as spring training gets underway, they're going to have a game coming up this Friday. Um, a, a name that we, we brought up recently and just sort of wondering, because you kind of forget about him, out of sight, out of mind, unfortunately, but that would be Evan White. And just talking about, you know, what, where, where is he? What, we never know what he's doing over there. What's he doing? He's, unfortunately, A, he seems like a great guy. We've talked to him. Couldn't be nicer. Couldn't yes. be easier to root for. He's easier in, to root for. Yeah, yep. he's in that Taylor Trammell area where you're just like, man, I want, I want everything to go well for this kid. Brilliant defensive player. We saw that at the big league level. The bat was the problem, and then injuries, obviously, even more so. But Jerry DePoto on with uh, Brock and Salk. Talking about what what they've seen from him so far in spring training. Evan played a fair bit of outfield in college at the University of Kentucky. He actually played the outfield for Team USA um, prior to, to his draft year. So it's it's not foreign to him. He's such a good athlete. And right now, he's actually been one of the most high-raising players in camp to this point. His you know, Evan looks 100% healthy. He checks out in the in the training room as 100% healthy. We know the the dynamic of of what his defense does on, on our infield, and you know what we're seeing right now in his athletic explosiveness and the batter's box. You know, there's still so much left to be told in, in Evan's story. Well, that's yeah. There's a lot to be told. Can he? What was the health problem? Was it a core issue? Oh, it was all kinds of things. I think it was a hip. Recently, yeah. it's it's been a few different things. Um, that's that's what I found interesting. Not that he plays outfield. I mean, he's by all accounts a, a phenomenal athlete. But if it is lower body, if it's leg, knee, hip, ankle, whatever, it seems counterintuitive to want him in the outfield where you're going to have to move a lot more and do a lot more running. Sure. And it seemed like first base. That's kind of where you want a guy who's not doesn't have maybe a ton of range or not you're not going to run around a whole bunch. I don't know. Just considering what his injuries have been, that that always struck me as odd that they would maybe want to put him out there. Yeah. But you do have an issue with all right. Well, you got Ty France who plays a really good defensive first base. What do you do there? Evan White is as good as Ty is. Evan White's a better defensive player. He just is. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, and Jerry. We we played a clip from him. I think from last week where he said he's as good as anybody he's seen at first base defensively. So that's pretty amazing yeah, testimony. So, so if he gets back to a point of, Hey man, this guy's healthy and, and more important, well, maybe not more importantly, but in addition to he's got the bat figured out, this guy is not, he's not chasing like he was. He's not overmatched the way he was. If all of a sudden he's up there and he's, he's putting up solid at bats and he, you know, he's controlling the zone and doing all the things they want him to do. How does he fit? What do you do? You know, do you, do you t- tell, 
Ty, hey, we're going to spot you at first. Evan can't play every day, but we're going to spot you there. And when you're not there, you're going to be our DH. Or how do you, how do you because you've got a third baseman. Gino's Gino's your third baseman. You just signed a second baseman in Colton Wong. I'm not sure how you make that work unless you're kind of platooning those two guys. It's funny we haven't talked about Gino that much. Hardly at all. We've no. hardly mentioned him at all because we know him now. Hey, Eugenio he's, Suarez. He's, he's not a he's not a curiosity. Yeah. How does uh, our guy JP say a Eugenio? He oh he, he, he enunciates a, yeah Suarez. I love <laughs> that Eugenio Suarez. I love that. But yeah, we haven't talked a lot about him. My question is with Ty France. Like, okay, he could be your DH if this guy starts to hit Evan White. Um, but does he like the rhythm of going out and playing first base and gets into a flow? Is it something maybe that would affect his his hitting? Because you hear all the time like. Nelson Cruz was the guy that comes to mind that, you know, he was a guy that liked to play out in the outfield. And he, he wasn't great. He didn't have great speed. Um, so, uh, but he, he did felt like that got him into a flow and he wanted to go out and play right field all the time. So, yeah, I think uh, it, it would be interesting to see is, is Ty that kind of guy? Does he want to play first base? Because like you said, he's, he's good. He's a very good first baseman. I've got no issues with him at first base at all, but if Evan is available, again, unless they want to run him in the outfield, I don't, you know, I, I would love to talk to him about that. Like, hey, man, he's had all these injuries. Does that, that, that feels counterintuitive, but I'm sure, obviously, they've, they've thought this through and it makes sense to them why that could work. And, all right, if that's the case, where does he play? Is he going to platoon in left field with Kelnick? Because you've got yeah. your center fielder and your right fielder with Julio and, and Hernandez. So how does he... It's a, it's a good problem to have. If you've got a guy with that defensive ability who all of a sudden has found his stroke and can hit, it's nice to have that issue, but it's it's a matter of figuring out, all right, well, now that you've got these other positions solidified, third base was an option maybe for Ty if, you know, we were talking about that before uh, when Evan was part of the, the process. Maybe he's a, maybe he's there. Maybe he goes to second base, but those spots are, are occupied now. So you're, you're kind of limited. Maybe Evan White is kind of like Kyle Lewis in that they're like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna baby step him into this. This is playing out the hypothetical, but maybe they, hey, we're gonna we're not gonna do back to back games, or we're not gonna do day night with him, or we're gonna we're gonna take it, you know, slowly build. So Ty's gonna get a lot of time at first base, and when he's not at first base, maybe he's the DH, and they just kind of rotate that way. When Evan's not playing first base, he's the DH. Yeah, well, I, I'm i okay as, as Mike wrote here. Um, you know, it's how valuable he can be for the, the lineup flexibility because, you know, like you said, the injuries are, are a problem. But if you're only putting him out in left field, you know, like you said, you're platooning him. It's not like you're going to just wear him down. He's still a fairly young man. Mm-hmm. Just you, you – I think the things I worry about, first of all, you, you worry that whatever he's showing them at the plate is going to translate – to the regular season but then you know is he going to be one of those guys that maybe just has bad luck yeah i don't it's i mean it's certainly been bad luck so far right like <laughs> you know they signed him to that deal uh i mean he's he's a multi-millionaire based on the deal he accepted right now he looks like the smart one i remember at the time people going why would you do that you're not yeah. you're not betting on your because kelnick was offered a multi-million dollar deal and turned it down you know, to lock him up, and and Evan White at this particular moment looks like that was that was the right move. It was a good move, but how did you feel about it at that time? Because you're not betting on yourself, and if you're a player, I mean, it was still a lot of money. I re- refresh my memory, was it like five? Wasn't it like a four year deal? Uh, six for- years, twenty four million. 
624. Okay. He's making $4 million a year, and, you know, he knows that he's going to get locked in at that rate, but you're not betting. I don't know. I like, I guess, we know Evan White. I mean, we've talked to him a couple of times. Like you said, great guy, but I kind of like the player that's betting on himself and that turns that down. I think it was Joe Flacco. You mentioned him because the Super Bowl year that he had. The one that he won. Yeah, he actually, (laughs) he he played really well, and he was on a prove-it deal. Yeah, and signed a hundred and whatever million dollar deal after that. Yeah, and you always, I think everybody admires that, but I don't know. That's nothing I hold against Evan White. It's just that it's, it's a little odd. Because, you know, typically guys are, are fired up and, you know, they, they want to – everybody has a chip on their shoulder. You know, whenever someone says that they have a chip on their shoulder, I think most professional athletes will find a way, right? Yeah. I was a chip-on-my-shoulder guy when I went to Denver because people were like, who's this guy? Oh, he's from the – Seahawks were 2-14. and 14. He's terrible. He can't play here. And, you know, big deal. It was written by a couple of different people. But I turned that into something that was like, yeah. Yeah. I, this this is motivating to me, but but yeah. So for Evan White, I don't know. It's good, like you said, good problem to have to figure out if he's hitting. Uh, would would love that. It just it just worries me when it's that. I feel like, you know, we talked about Colton Wong and him getting coached up by Perry Hill, and he had what seventeen errors last year. Yeah. You feel like oh, okay, we can clean that. Up. He can work, on, mm-hmm. but if he's never hit. You know, it's just, I don't know, that seems more problematic because I think hitting a baseball is probably, you know, other than being able to chip a, a golf ball within three feet of a tiny little hole from 150 yards away. That's just luck. <laughs> well, and I always used to make the joke that, hey, the ball is standing still. It's in the, it's not moving. It's not yeah. curving. It's not, you know, going all over the place. There's no deception. No, I think it's, I think it's really difficult uh, thing to master and so i don't know i'm I'm going to be skeptical of until we actually see it hopefully he has a good spring and then see if he can even even if he does aren't you going to go all right well let's see what happens in the regular season oh yeah yeah absolutely i'm rooting for him but yeah i don't i don't count on him i'm just trying to look up some of his injuries he had the strained left hip flexor mm. uh that, that put him on the dl he had uh, also the uh, sports hernia that put him on the DL, and I think there was there was also something else. So he did have the hip thing, had the so it's all in the the core area, I guess, for the mm-hmm. most part. But it's just it seems like it's been one after another. And if you got a bad hip, I'm wondering how much that plays into his 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 ability to run and sprint and plant and cut or whatever he may have to do in the outfield. So I don't know if if he's again. I hope they have that problem. I hope mm-hmm. this is a problem that they have to address because that means he's playing really well. And they they want him up there with the with the big club, that that's a nice option to have. I just I'm not counting on it, but I'm hoping for it. Yep. You know, and then and again, nice. He's couldn't ask for a nicer guy. Just if you if you're rooting against him, you're the problem. I remember we uh, we had a week where we interviewed both him and Tramel. We're like, yeah. wow, these are like the nicest dudes ever. The best. Yeah, I remember I asked uh, Evan White. I think when I asked him the question, he said that's a great question. Um, yeah, but it was about you know <laughs> I, when, I don't think when was the when <laughs> was the first time that you you know some of the times where you got hit in the face or the head or whatever trying to pick a ball. You know, I, I feel like that's so difficult. That thing's coming in at you know what I don't know what a third baseman threw. What's the 
miles per hour. It's not like pitchers, but still, it's coming in 80, probably 80 plus. Yeah. And now it skips on the grass. Gino's the probably dirt. up around 90, low 90s, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's something that's really difficult to do, and he makes it look easy. Well, and, and it's so beneficial to have somebody like that. I mean, you're, I remember talking to guys, you know, back when Justin Smoke was here and talking to Seeger and talking to Ackley and Brendan Ryan and those guys. And on and off the record, and them just talking about how much confidence they had in really trying to make a play. Oftentimes you'll see an infielder eat the ball because, yeah, they're not going to – the timing's not going to work out. They're not going to get the guy, so they're not going to risk firing it into the stands or, mm-hmm. you know, bounce short hop the first baseman and rolls past him. But they had a different level of confidence with Smoke there because they felt like they could push it and they could short hop it to him. And that's the same thing with, with, with uh, Evan White. You, there's a different level of confidence that yeah, I can try. I can push this play. I can try because he's going to make that make that catch there. He's going to he's going to pick that ball. Yeah, instead of throwing it to his mitt, you know, around the size of like a NBA rim, you yeah. know, uh, you, you're talking about a huge circle that you, yeah. you just have to hit. Just get uh, in that area. Unless it's like uh, there's hot weather, hot weather, and there's lots of people wearing white shirts. Yeah. <laughs> remember the Lloyd McClendon? Yeah, that was where he, he made that. I remember Danny made a huge deal out of that laughing about it because yeah he was talking about how at spring training there's lots of white shirts and so you can't really see the ball blends in yeah yeah <laughs> uh one other guy that that i think people are getting excited about it, as far as pitchers go is bryce miller um jerry depoto talking here about the possibility of seeing him uh coming out of the bullpen yeah you could see it there's actually there's two other guys in our camp that have caught early attention in that space too maybe three you know we talked about justin topa and mm-hmm. what he brings to the table and physical stuff. And we're seeing it down here. Still don't know, you know, where, where Justin will fit or, or whether it will translate to on-field success, but the stuff is notable. The guy who might have shown the, the best stuff to date in, in our early DPs and, and live throwing sessions is Perlander Baroa, who is uh, highly likely to start back in the minor leagues, but, from a pure stuff perspective, he's after sitting on 97 miles an hour, touching 100 with what at times looks like the most unhittable slider you could throw. And and that's in the same camp that has Matt Brash. Boy, they, they sure have a lot of superlatives for some of these, you know, Matt Brash and that. He's talking about his slider there and how awesome it is. I mean, and lots of high praise there. Well, it's amazing how common it is for guys to hit triple digits now. It's not that – it's still a yeah. deal. I still marvel at it. When I see it on the radar gun or, Same. you know, watching TV and they show the radar gun on TV, I still – but it's, it is so much more common now. You know, that – you think about when you first saw somebody hit triple digits. You're like, oh, my God, that guy threw 100. And now it's – I'm not going to say it's everybody's doing it, certainly, but, you know, anybody pitching, throwing 96, 97, that feels like run of the mill now. Like, that's just – yeah, Okay. You know, you talk to Blowers about it. You know, back in the day, maybe maybe you had a couple guys, whether it was Randy Johnson or maybe, you know, even before that, Nolan Ryan. But it was you could name the guys that could do that. Now it's basically everybody can hit 95, 96, and then you've got a nice pool of players that can go triple digits. You know, Munoz on this team, every other pitch is triple digits. You know, so it's just uh, it, it's impressive the way that's become more the norm. And Mariners, we've got a few of those guys. Uh, one more on Bryce Miller from from Jerry talking about, you know, why his name is the one that keeps coming up so often. Uh, you know, it's just an exciting young pitching prospect. And there, there's still so much that, that we can learn about what Bryce's ceiling is. 
know, he, he didn't pitch a lot prior to getting to Texas A&M. He was a position player who, you know, pitched sparingly and, and then went to college, pitched as a reliever for the Aggies, then went through his, his first exposure as a starter in what turned out to be a, a shortened, very shortened COVID season, and only had one full season of pitching under his belt when we took him in the fourth round, and he's done nothing but improve. I mean, they're, they're pitching rich right now. You've got a great rotation, and this is always assuming health. Uh, but to see what they've got to work with, and we still haven't even mentioned, you know, Emerson Hancock or some of these other names we've been used to yeah. hearing. So it just feels like, you know, this is a team and, and an organization that has done really well in terms of developing pitchers, and you're, you're seeing it now, and you got two in the rotation as we sit, you know, with, with Kirby and Logan Gilbert. Um, you know, we'll see what Justin Dunn does for, for Cincinnati and, you know, things like that. But it, it's uh, – you know, to see that that Miller is now a guy that everybody's excited about, and and uh, who was it that said he's that we talked to said he's their fifth, he's the fifth best pitcher in their organization. Yeah, I can't remember who it was, it was we were ta- talking to about that, but um, but I mean to hear that now whether that's true or not, that's somebody's opinion. But to even say that and 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 have a conviction about it speaks to where this kid is and what kind of stuff he's working with. We'll see if it manifests itself at the at the big league level, but. Yeah. They're in a great spot in terms of their arms, and which is great. You need that depth. You've got to have that depth because you couldn't emphasize it enough. Last year is an anomaly. That just doesn't happen to have every pitcher in your rotation not miss a start, make every start. And the only switch came Brash and Kirby early in the season. Brash got the fifth fifth spot. They move him out, bring Kirby in. You're golden. Then they bring in Luis Castillo later. That shifts things. But in terms of just everybody being available for every start, you just don't see it. And it, you hope for it, but you can't plan on it. Well, I, I'll say this, getting back to Bryce Miller, that this offseason is the most that, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years. I don't, I don't remember anybody talking this much about how good this pitching staff is. And mm-hmm. and not only the starting five. I mean, we don't even talk about the starting five. We're talking about all these up-and-coming guys. I remember last year talking to Son of Augustafson about, and he was all over Andres Munoz mm-hmm. and saying, this guy is just a beast and this and that. But that was really, you know, uh, other than that, we didn't, we weren't talking that. I mean, a little bit about Robbie Ray, and obviously he had history and everything, but it was more like, ah, what are you going to do about this spot and that spot? Now all of a sudden it's like, at least what we're hearing, and I'm, I can't wait to get down to, uh, to spring training. And especially, you know, like I said, every once in a while they'll say, hey, so and so is going to be throwing on field four, you know, and we're down there. We can walk over, watch the little workout, just see mm-hmm. what it looks like. I mean, it's, uh, it seems like, and like you said, you know, as far as the injuries go, that's just so rare that uh, it's it's nice to hear that you know they've got they've got all these guys waiting in the wings. Well, and you still have Marco there. You still have Flex in there. Yeah, Flex. You know, so Don't you forget you, about him. You've got some depth there, and then and they've done such a nice job with even guys they didn't have coming up through their system. Whether they brought them over here as sort of a reclamation project, or I mean, Paul Seawall is a great example of that. You know, I mean, he he's turned into an absolute stud in in this organization. Struggled earlier in his career, where is it with the Mets? Uh, you know, same with Flexen. He was in the Korean Baseball League when nobody had ever heard of the guy, and then he the year he comes over, he, he basically saves your season because he was the most consistent pitcher in that entire rotation. So they've done a nice job, whether it's a reliever, whether it's a starter. 
their their strong suit is pitching. You know, it'd be cool to see them develop more offense. You know, Julio's awesome, uh, but you like to see. You know, hopefully Cal takes that next step. But prior to that, you, you're going, boy, who was the who was the best offensive bat they've they've brought up as of late? I don't know. Was it Seager in terms of coming up through their system that turned mm-hmm. into a? I mean, they, there haven't been a lot. You've had guys that, yeah, they, they're okay. They don't, you know, but in terms of really developing that stud offensive player, that, that hasn't happened a ton as of late. You know, and Julio's a great, great, uh, a great addition to it, but it, it just speaks to how rare it seems, at least with this organization, compared to how often they're churning out pitchers. Yeah. So, yeah. You looks, agree. Looks good. I, I'm, <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. It's uh, it, it's really good to hear that, especially when that's all service talks about. It's defense and pitching. Defense yeah. and pitching. It's what's helped them the last two years, 90-win seasons. So, uh, all right, coming up, we know there are questions about this Seahawks defensive line, but should we be equally as worried about what's going on with that linebacker group? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. We are live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Linebackers, Dave. Have we not given that group enough attention? Which would be amazing since you're here. Well, I try to be fair about it. Well, the... We've talked a lot. We have talked about the linebackers, certainly. We've, but I feel like in talking about the shortcomings of the Seahawks defense, the majority of the conversation is centered around D-line. the front, the D line, and you know, do these guys fit a three four? Are they better suited for a four three? Who are the guys that absolutely fit? Who doesn't? What else? But we've talked about the linebackers, but man, they are in a weird position where you look at it and go, "Yeah, this." The more you hear, like KJ saying, "They don't have linebackers. They don't have any." Now. He's not being literal, but there's there are a lot of questions because Brooks, we have you assume he's going to be fine, but everybody heals differently. Everybody, how often do we hear about guys getting something routine done, but it lingers, and then maybe they have to go back in and clean something up or whatever? Well, and real quick on that, just to to stop you for a second, Pete, I remember said something about the ACL, and he was like, "Yeah, it was a legitimate ACL," and so I'm like, "What does that mean?" Yeah. I mean, whenever he puts, like, an extra word in there, I'm like, now, did that maybe mean complicated or was it just very straightforward, cut yeah. and dried, which is what you hope for because, you know, they can – honestly, I think, you know, when I got my new ACL, it was made out of uh, part of my tendon from my kneecap, uh, my patella tendon, and mm-hmm. it was much stronger than the one I have was, you know, God gave me because yeah. it was just – screwed in i've got big screws in there and you know so it becomes one of these uh one of these things that's almost like tommy john surgery where you don't have to really worry about it yeah but 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 we don't know yeah i mean as much as these things seem routine yeah you just never know i mean kyle lewis now he's probably got more of a chronic condition that nobody's ever really identified but he had a meniscus which is about as routine as it gets these days and you know the guy could never play back-to-back games couldn't get him back out on the field not saying that's going to be Jordan Brooks, but you just never know. So you can't – that's kind of a question mark. Is he going to come back? Is he going to be the same? Is it going to take a while? And then after that, everything's a question mark because Cody Barton, we spent a ton of time talking about him for good reasons, for bad reasons. The, the bad part about him is 
he didn't really answer any questions over this past season. There were games you felt like, yep, he's a guy. He can he can certainly play that spot. Then there would be another game you go, I don't know about that. I don't know if he's the guy there. So you didn't come out of the – at least I didn't come out of that season with any real clarity on, all right, is he a guy that can be a starter? Is he a guy that's just a good depth piece? Yeah. Does he fit what they want to do? I didn't have any more certainty after the season, and I, th- I certainly thought we would because he was your starter. And then behind him are guys that you, you like – it's depth, but nobody you look at and go, give that guy a chance, and he's going to light it up. Whether you're talking yeah. about Muse, whether you're talking about Radigan, Nick Ballore, if we want to call him a linebacker. Yeah, and uh, you didn't see him hardly at all. And it would be nice if they were like draft guys that were up and coming, and you're like, okay, we're waiting for John Radigan, yeah. uh, John Radigan, and and Tanner Muse. Like we've been we've been waiting for these guys to develop. Now they're guys that you got you know, off the off the street in some cases. So, yeah, that, that part of it is very much up in the air. I think the other thing that maybe makes you think about Jordan Brooks and worry a little bit is what happened with BBK. Ben Burkirvin had the same thing. He had like a ACL, but He's then been back. he had a surgery, and then there was like, that was the 2021 preseason. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a year and a half now. So that's, yeah, I it is concerning, and I'm wondering if free agency, I mean, now Bobby's out there. I'm not sure what you would, you know, how he would fit in. I thought that he played, except for that first game that I saw, I didn't watch every single game, uh, I thought he played differently than he did when he played here. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like he was more attacking the line of scrimmage. He wasn't catching blocks. I mean, and maybe it was Ken Norton, and that's the way he allowed Bobby to play and said, hey, we don't want you charging in there taking on a guard. We want you staying back and making sure nobody gets out of the tackle box. Or I don't know how they were making him play or allowing him to play, but he was not physical. Yeah. Not physical at all. So, yeah, there was lots of times where, you know, you'd see Jordan Brooks go run in there, blow up a a blocker, and then Bobby would just kind of sift behind him and kind of put his hands on blockers and sort of push them away and sort of do like cheerleading move. No, No, I, I just, it was very weird. I just, there were so many plays. Now, Bobby's made all these just amazing plays in his career, and but yet there are so many that, like, like the last two years where there was like five or six a game, I'm like, oh, my God, what's he doing? Yeah. What, what is he doing here? And so that that's where, and I know that Pro Football Focus, had he had the high rating. And I feel like once you get a high rating with that organization, they will. You'll you know, always have a high rating. You'll always <laughs> be good. Yeah. But, well, Paul wasn't that. We talked to Paul Moyer earlier in the show, and that conversation will be on the podcast page for you after the show at seattlesports.com. He, he wasn't that excited about the idea. And I, I listen, I get nostalgia. I get what Bobby has meant to this team and he'll be in that ring of honor. He was, he was the greatest linebacker outside of Dave Wyman to ever wear a Seahawks Jersey. Uh, so That's a low bar. Well, I, I, in, in all fairness to him, he's, he's, I mean, he's an all time great. Absolutely. So, I get it. I get we got a million texts today of people texting you, bring Bobby back. Now you can bring him back. This will be great. He fits you need a linebacker. It's gonna be perfect. Well you brought up hypothetically, all right, if they did bring him back and Brooks is healthy, well who's your middle linebacker? Mm-hmm. You're I mean, Brooks is your future. He's your now and your future. You assume if he's healthy, he's your middle linebacker. Do, do you move him somewhere else? And Bobby assumes that role or Bobby play does Bobby fit this scheme? Does he fit the the 
three, four that they're running with a stick post or whatever, whatever the heck's going on there, a bare front. I don't stick know. Post. <laughs> Is that what he said? I keep losing track of what KJ called it, but stick but front. Stick front. Um, yeah, I just. I, I understand the desire from a fan's perspective to bring, hey, man, that we loved it. It was the same with Marshawn. Oh, man, he was great. He's going to be that same guy. Well, they're they're older, and they're, they're not the same guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. You tell me. Does he fit what it is they're trying to do here? Would it be beneficial for them to bring him back? And if so, where does he play? Yeah, I, and the thing is, um, the, the thing about the 3-4 was that, you know, you were always going to get, you're going to have a guard in front of you that you have to take on the guard. And that's like, but that's very basic, but still like you have to have that B gap. You have to, it was, uh, when I played in the three, four, it was like a race between me and the guard to see who could close the four yards quicker. Mm-hmm. Like I'd try to hit him at one and a half because you can't catch him at four yards. You're going to just get blown out. That's what happened to Boz because Brian Bosworth wasn't very big, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he had small hands and small feet and he was all built up, but he was meant to run yeah. and go and make tackles, not take on blockers. And, I, you know, and that's kind of, and Bobby can, he can do that, but I don't think he's at that point in his career where he wants to be a battering ram. Right. Running know? into a wall every play. Yeah. So that. Uh, I don't. I don't know if that works here. They got to get the whole thing figured out, though, about how they're going to play their gaps and everything. Are they going to do this reading thing that they did last year before they they do anything? But in the meantime, where do you get linebackers from? And now all of a sudden, I'm looking at like Levante David, going, yeah, maybe he would come here. And I don't know how much they would have to spend on him. It sounded like the the NFC South guy down in Tampa said that he's you know ready to move on. So. Yeah, maybe that. There's that Drew Tranquil kid from the Chargers that we talked about a few a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, something has to be done, or maybe they they find it in the draft. But Bobby was a second rounder. Yeah, best yeah. best linebacker in Seahawk history. I mean, yeah, and that that's the thing about Bobby. I mean, you you expect such a high standard from him. It was kind of shocking to me when when I would see some of the things that I that I saw from him. But um, but yeah, he sets he sets a high bar. And, you know, we talked about the fact that they lost their, arguably their two best players, two of the best players that have ever played for the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. You know, in 10, 15 years from now, I mean, look, no disrespect to Steve Largent and Walter Jones and who else, you know, Cortez. But, I yeah. mean, these two guys were part of a, a legendary run. Yeah. Bobby was part of a legendary defense. And, you know, they won a world championship. Lost another one, but still, um, that's that makes those two the the most important players. And yeah. that's what was so impressive last year about their about their season was you know the nine and eight season going to the playoffs and it, doing it without Russell, without Bobby, without the Bobby, two yeah. pillars of this. Yeah. Uh, one one cut before we get to the break. Just KJ, we talked to him yesterday. KJ Wright, kind of echoing what you just said in cut number three here. Just talking about there was too much of that reading going on versus linebackers just attacking. The safeties have to find the proper alley. Like, I got to find that if Jordan or Cody goes this way, I got to fill in the alley coming this way. And so it's a lot of stuff that you have to figure out, a lot of reading versus attacking. We have to react anyway. Let let me find a way to where I can just go and just shoot my gun. You saw a few times where Jordan's like, screw this. I'm just about to go and whatever (laughs) happens, happens. Knowing Coach Carroll, I know that Coach Carroll is going to get this figured out. Clint Hurt, it's his second year. 
got to get it figured out because what we saw last year, that's not winning football. He's yeah. speaking your language there, isn't he? I love just it. You too know? much. Just let me go. Just go. He's exactly right, man. I mean, you can't you can't sit there and read because, like I said before, you get you have no momentum. Yeah, and it's hard enough just like he said, figuring out whether it's a run or a pass. You're trying to dissect the play, but once you do, now you don't even know where you're supposed to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's, at least that's what it looked like. Well, and then by the time they seem to figure it out, the the ball carrier, if it's a run play, is four yards up the field. I think KJ said that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like, he's got a five-yard game. Yeah, so there you go. All right, coming up, uh, did MLB Network leave off a key Mariner from their list of top 100 players in baseball? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We've got spring training baseball right around the corner. We're going to be there before we know it, Dave. I cannot wait, especially when it's this cold outside. I dream of being in Arizona. <laughs> it's going to be Somebody nice. Somebody texted in, uh, it's colder than a well digger's behind. Out here. The, the, the <laughs> comment there, the saying that their dad used to say, but... Um, yeah, so cold out there, man. Yeah. I just went out and planted some flowers in my front yard about a week ago. <laughs> I love that you're out there. You're dying. Dave is out there with a hair dryer on his plants, on his flowers, trying to thaw them out. Didn't work. Didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So uh, oh, you take a lot of pride in that lawn care. I got to tell you, uh, I, I'm still marveling over the 509 question. Uh, or uh, text. <laughs> Terrible interview. No Geno questions. No draft pick questions. <laughs> Weak. Weak. Yeah, we should have brought John Schneider in here. How much are you paying Geno? Which we asked him last week uh, about the whole process and yeah. everything. But, yeah, so tell us exactly uh, how many years the contract is and who you're going to draft how much money and then yeah please the number five pick is going to be well first are you going to trade away your pick oh you are okay so you're going to trade it who are you going to trade it to right and what what do you take yeah yeah what's your price what do you what do you need for that pick yeah yeah that's that's not i think most of our listeners understand that's not how it works so i just thought that one was it's it's sort of the one low one because most people love hearing from john and they're like oh that was great we had a guy text in saying man I've been home for 10 minutes. I'm sitting in my truck in my driveway listening to this. Yeah. You know, most of people love love hearing from John and, and realize he's not going to give you details. He's not going to – no GM is going to sit there and go, well, here's what we're thinking dollar-wise for this guy, and we'd like it to be this long of a deal. And the draft, boy, we we love this Carter kid. If he's there, we're taking him. But if it's not him, we're going to trade with the Colts, and we're going to trade – you know, what? it just doesn't work <laughs> like that, man. So hopefully the 509 understands. But that, I just thought that that was a hilarious text. Week. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to send that to the Seahawks and let them know this is this is what we're dealing with. No, that's not what our textures are all about. We we had one texter after I read that who suggested we do reverse mean text where we go through and find text uh, and poke fun at the, at the texters. <laughs> don't we do that though? Yeah, we kind of do it sporadically. If something something as great as that pops up, yeah. <laughs> so. I remember the one I had like a twelve text exchange with a guy, and at the end he was like, "You're a maniac. You should be put away." <laughs> something like that. That's that's always the funny thing to me. And we'll move on here in a minute. But we love the text, good, bad, whatever. We make a whole bit out of the awful sure. things some of you say to us, uh, but. What I love is sometimes people will text in really mean, trying to be hurtful, and you'll you'll fire back at them, and then they're taken aback, like, 
oh, that'll be great for people to know how you speak to your listeners or something. I'm like, really? You, you felt that was undeserved? You really? That, that was a little too harsh, was it? I mean, give me a brief. You're going you're gonna to attack. Well, sometimes you get it back. That's how it works. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, we got one of your other favorite things, Bob, is when the texters turn on each other. The 206. 509 is an idiot. Oh, I love texture on texture crime. Thinking that... JS gives all the things away. <laughs> I love them. I love when the 425. You tell them the 206 says blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Shut up. It's, that makes me laugh. But anyway, I think I, our listeners are a pretty savvy group. They get it. They understand what, what can be answered. Yeah. Uh, so we, we're not going to waste everybody's time asking a question we know darn well he's not going to answer. So uh, good conversation with John Schneider. You guys can – you know what? You guys can check it out after the show at seattlesports.com. Go through it with a fine-tooth comb and critique us. What what did we miss? What didn't yeah. we ask that we should have asked? How about that? Uh, otherwise, let's talk about what's going on in the world of Major League Baseball. you got MLB Network. We've got all kinds of lists coming out right now. And MLB Network doing their top 100 players right now is how they term it. Now, uh, they, they went through. Have they unveiled the top 10 left code? We don't have the benefit of a TV here. No, no, they're going to wait till five fifty nine. Okay, so so they've they've gotten all the way up until the top ten. We're not sure who what the order is going to be in that, but uh, some notable names in the the top one hundred here as it pertains to the Seattle Mariners. You've got Ty France at number eighty nine. You've got Teoscar Hernandez at number eighty three. You've got Luis Castillo at number sixty seven. You've got Julio Rodriguez at number sixteen, and. That was one that I said earlier. I tweeted that out, just asking people, hey, is this too high, too low, just right? What do you think? And most people felt, yeah, it's just about right. Um, Chris Young of MLB Network feels like, yeah, this is just the beginning that he feels like Julio, top five player, really soon. I feel like Julio is well on his way to being one of the top five best players in the game. If we look at his season last year, what a year, by the way, but in April... I mean, he got the rookie treatment from the umpires. In April, I mean, you're talking about 10 punch outs in April to where there were pitches out of the zone. But he was able to keep his composure, which is what separates this young guy from the majority of young guys. Normally, you get all up in arms about the bad calls. He stayed within himself, and he trusted his game, and he was able to go out there and have an absolutely amazing season. Chris Young, former baseball player, correct? Yeah. Working for the MLB Network. Um, I, he's gotten lots of credit for that, and I'm glad to see that. Like, at the time, we didn't really talk about it that much. But now people are looking back going, hey, for a young guy, he was getting squeezed. He realized he was getting screwed. And I'm sure Service was trying to talk him down like, look, man, these are these are bad calls. But just hang in there. And he did. He handled it really well. You mentioned the one incident. Where he got tossed mm -hmm. for drawing, drawing a line, in a the line in the dirt with his bat, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, he handled that incredibly for a well. Twenty-one-year-old kid. Yeah, and you, you're sitting there going, "Everybody's against me. These people are working yeah. against me." You know, and we even thought that too. Do you think some of these umpires are, are back there going, uh, "Who's this kid? Think he is? I'll show him." Or you know, I, I, yeah. maybe it's maybe a couple of guys are that way, but for the most part, it was probably just coincidence um i don't know but he sure handled it well and he's getting lots of credit for that so think about how hard that would be at that age where all the spotlight yeah. is on you you're supposed to be this phenom and here you are striking out a whole bunch and it's not your fault <laughs> you're getting you're getting worked by the guy behind the plate and you're you're still 21 i mean at you know it, i'm watching it 
at 31, you know, getting really upset. I'm yelling at the team. I'm losing my composure, Dave. If I'm in the batter's box, maybe I'm throwing a fit out there. You know, but who are you, Benjamin Button? Yeah, that's right. Okay, <laughs> you're going to die at <laughs> two, age one. Uh, but no, I mean, in all honesty, I can't even imagine what my reaction would have been at 21 years old with all yeah. of that, you know, spotlight and expectation on me, and this is what's happening. It's it's outrageous too because you know you have somebody that kind of has your career in in their hands, yeah. right? I mean that. That's got to be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, he was he, just impressive across the board, and I agree with Chris Young. You, you know, if he stays healthy and puts up another season like he did, we're going to be talking about him top 10, top 5 perhaps in terms of players in, the, in this game. All right, coming up, Seahawks GM John Schneider is going to join us. We'll have that conversation for you. Coming up as we continue live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center, it's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.